Letter 42. Clarissa. Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. This recording by Patty Brugman. Clarissa. Volume 1. By Samuel Richardson. Letter 42. Miss Clarissa Harlow to Miss Howe. An angry dialogue, a scolding bout, rather, had passed between my sister and me. Do you think I could scold, my dear? She was sent up to me, upon my refusal to see Mr. Solmes, let loose upon me, I think. No intention on their parts to conciliate. It seems evident that I am given up to my brother and her by general consent. I will do justice to everything she said against me, which carried any force with it. As I ask for your approbation or disapprobation of my conduct upon the facts I lay before you, I should think it the sign of a very bad cause if I endeavoured to mislead my judge. She began with representing to me the danger I had been in. Had my father come up, as he would have done had he not been hindered by Mr. Solmes among the rest, she reflected upon my Norton, as if she encouraged me in my perseverance. She ridiculed me for my supposed esteem for Mr. Lovelace, was surprised that the witty, the prudent, nay, the dutiful and pious, as she so sneeringly pronounced the word, Clarissa Harlowe should be so strangely fond of a profligate man that her parents were forced to lock her up in order to hinder her from running into his arms. Let me ask you, my dear, said she, how you now keep your account of this disposition of your time? How many hours in the twenty-four do you devote to your needle? How many to your prayers? How many to letter-writing? And how many to love? I doubt, I doubt, my little dear, was her arch-expression. The latter article is like Aaron's rod, and swallows up the rest. Tell me, is it not so? To these I answered, that it was a double mortification to me to owe my safety from the effects of my father's indignation to a man I could never thank for anything. I vindicated the good Mrs. Norton with the warmth that was due to her merit. With equal warmth I resented her reflections upon me on Mr. Lovelace's account. As to the disposition of my time in the twenty-four hours, I told her it would better have become her to pity a sister in distress than to exult over her especially when I could too justly attribute to that disposition of some of her wakeful hours no small part in that distress. She raved extremely at this last hint, but reminded me of the gentle treatment of all my friends, my mother's in particular, before it came to this. She said that I had discovered a spirit they had never expected, that if they had thought me such a championess, they would have hardly ventured to engage with me but that now the short and the long of it was that the matter had gone too far to be given up, that it was become a contention between duty and willfulness, whether a parent's authority were to yield to a daughter's obstinacy, or the contrary, that I must therefore bend or break. That was all, child. I told her that I wished the subject were of such a nature that I could return her pleasantry with equal lightness of heart, but then if Mr. Solmes had such a merit in everybody's eyes, in here particularly, why might he not be a brother to me, rather than a husband? Oh, 
child,' says she, "'methinks you are as pleasant to the full as I am. "'I begin to have some hopes of you now, "'but do you think I will rob my sister of her humble servant? "'Had he first addressed himself to me,' proceeded she, "'something might have been said. "'But to take my younger sister's refusal, "'no, no, child, it is not to come to that neither. "'Besides, that would be to leave the door open in your heart, "'for you know who, child.' and we would fain bar him out, if possible. In short, and then she changed both her tone and her looks, had I been as forward as somebody to throw myself into the arms of one of the greatest profligates in England, who had endeavoured to support his claim to me through the blood of my brother, then might all my family join together to save me from such a wretch, and to marry me as fast as they could, to some worthy man who might opportunely offer himself. "'And now, Clary, all's out, and make the most of it.' "'Did not this deserve a severe return? "'Do say it did, to justify my reply. "'Alas for my poor sister,' said I, "'the man was not always so great a profligate. "'How true is the observation that unrequited love turns to deepest hate. "'I thought she would beat me, but I proceeded to have heard often "'of my brother's danger and my brother's murder.' When so little ceremony is made with me, why should I not speak out? Did he not seek to kill the other? If he could have done it, would my brother have given Lovelace his life, had it been in his power? The aggressor should not complain, and, as to the opportune offers, would to heaven some one had offered opportunely to somebody. It is not my fault, Bella. The opportune gentlemen don't come. Could you, my dear, have shown more spirit? I expected to feel the weight of her hand. She did come up to me, with it held up, then, speechless with passion, ran halfway down the stairs and came up again. When she could speak, God give me patience with you. Amen, said I. But you see, Bella, how ill you bear the retort you provoke. Will you forgive me, and let me find a sister in you, as I am sorry if you have reason to think me unsisterly in what I have said?' Then did she pour upon me with greatest violence, considering my gentleness as a triumph of temper over her. She was resolved, she said, to let everybody know how I took the wicked Lovelace's part against my brother. I wished, I told her, I could make the plea for myself, which she might for herself, to wit that my anger was more inexcusable than my judgment. But I presumed she had some other view in coming to me than she had hitherto acquainted me with. Let me, said I, but no, after all that had passed, if you have anything to propose that I can comply with, anything that can make my only sister once more my friend. I had before, upon hearing her ridiculing me on my supposed nature of meekness, said that although I wished to be thought meek, I would not be abject. "'although humble not mean, and here, in a sneering way, "'she cautioned me on that head. "'I replied that her pleasantry was much more agreeable than her anger, "'but I wished she would let me know the end of a visit "'that had hitherto between us been so unsisterly. "'She desired to be informed. "'In the name of everybody was her word that I was determined upon, "'and whether to comply or not.' One word for all, my friends were not to have patience with so perverse a creature for ever. This, then, I told her, I would do, absolutely break with the man they were also determined against. 
upon condition, however, that neither Mr. Solmes nor any other were urged upon me with the force of a command. And what was this, more than I had offered before? What but ringing my changes upon the same bells, and neither receding nor advancing one tittle? Ah, if I knew what other proposals I could make, I told her, that would be acceptable to them all, and free me from the address of a man so disagreeable to me, I would make them. I had indeed before offered never to marry without my father's consent. She interrupted me. That was because I depended upon my whining tricks to bring my father and mother to what I pleased. A poor dependence, I said. She knew those who would make that dependence vain. And I should have brought them to my own back very probably. And my Uncle Harlow, too, as also my Aunt Harvey, had I not been forbidden from their sight, and thereby hindered from playing my pug's tricks before them. At least, Bella, said I, you have hinted to me to whom I am obliged that my father and mother and everybody else treat me thus harshly, but surely you make them all very weak. Indifferent persons, judging of us two from what you say, would either think me a very artful creature, or you a very spiteful one. You are indeed a very artful one, for that matter, interrupted she, in a passion, one of the artfulest I have ever known. And then, following an accusation so low, so unsisterly, that I half bewitched people of my insinuating address that nobody could be valued or respected, but must stand like ciphers wherever I came. How often, said she, have I and my brother been talking upon a subject, and had everybody's attention till you came in, with your bewitching, meek pride and humble significance? And then have we either been stopped by reference to Miss Clary's option, forsooth, or been forced to stop ourselves, or must have talked, or unattended to, by everybody? She paused. Dear Bella, proceed. She indeed seemed only gathering breath. And so I will, she said. Did you not bewitch my grandmother? Could anything be pleasing to him that you did not say or do? How did he used to hang, till he slabbered again, poor dotting old man, on your silver tongue? And what did you say that we could not have said? What did you do that we did not endeavor to do? And what was all this for? Why truly his last will showed what effect your smooth obligingness had upon him. To leave the acquired part of his estate from the next heirs, his own sons, to a grandchild, to his youngest grandchild, a daughter too, to leave the family pictures from his sons to you, because you tittle about them, and though you now neglect their examples, could wipe and clean them with your dainty hands, the family plate, too, in such quantities of two or three generations standing must not be changed because of his precarious child, humoring his old fala taste, admired it to make it all her own. This was too low to move me. Oh, my poor sister, said I, not to be able or at least willing to distinguish between art and nature. If I did oblige, I was happy in it. I look for no further reward. My mind is above art, 
from the dirty motives you mention. I wish with all my heart my grandfather had not thus distinguished me. He saw my brother likely to be amply provided for out of the family as well as in it. Be desired that you might have the greater share of my father's favour, for he, and no doubt, but you both have. You know, Bella, that the estate of my grandfather bequeathed me was not half the real estate he left. What's all that to an estate in possession, and left you with such distinction, as gave you a reputation of greater value than the estate itself? Hence my misfortune, Bella, in your envy I doubt, but I have not given up that possession in the best manner I could. Yes, interrupting me, she hated me for that best manner. Specious little witch, she called me, your best manner, so full of art and design, had never been seen through. If you, with your blandishing ways, have not been put out of sight and reduced to positive declaration, hindered from playing your little declaration, hindered from playing your little whining tricks, curling like a serpent about your mamma, and making her cry to deny you anything your little obstinate heart was set upon. Obstinate heart, Bella. Yes, obstinate heart, for did you ever give up anything? Had you not the art to make them think all was right, you asked, though my brother and I were frequently refused favours of no greater import? I know not, Bella, that I ever asked anything unfit to be granted. I seldom asked favours for myself, but for others. I was a reflecting creature for this. All you speak of, Bella, was a long time ago. I cannot go so far back into our childish follies. Little did I think of how long-standing your late-shown antipathy is. I was a reflector again. Such a saucy meekness, such a best manner, and such venom in words. Oh, Clary, Clary, that wert always a two-faced girl. Nobody thought I had two faces when I gave up all my father's management, taking from his bounty as before all my little pocket-money, without a shilling addition to my stipend, or desiring it. Yes, cunning creature, and that was another of your fetches for it did not engage my fond father, as no doubt you thought it would, to tell you that since you had done so grateful and foolish a thing, he would keep entire for your use all the produce of the estate left to you, but be but your steward in it, and that you should be entitled to the same allowances as before. Another of your hook-ins, Clary, so that all your extravagance have been supported gratis. My extravagance is Bella, but did my father ever give me anything he did not give you? Yes, indeed. I got more by that means than I should have had the conscience to ask, but I have still the greater part to show. But you, you have to show. I dare say not fifty pieces in the world. Indeed I have not. I believe you, your mamma Norton, and I suppose, but mum for that. Unworthy Bella! The good woman, although low in circumstance, is great in mind, much greater than those who would impute meanness to a soul incapable of it. What, then, have you done with the sums given you from infancy to squander? Let me ask you, affecting archness, has, has, has Lovelace, has your rake put it out of interest for you? Oh, that my dear sister would not make me blush for her. It is, however, out at interest, and I hope it will bring me interest upon interest, better than to lie useless in my cabinet.
She understood me, she said. Were I a man, she should suppose I was aiming to carry the county popularity. A crowd to follow me with their blessings as I wept to and from church, and nobody else to be regarded, were agreeable things. House-topped proclamations. I hid not my light under a bushel. She would say that for me. But was it not a little hard upon me to be kept from blazing on a Sunday, and to be hindered from my charitable ostentations? This indeed, Bella, is cruel in you, who have so largely contributed to my confinement. But go on. You'll be out of breath by and by. I cannot wish to be able to return this usage. Poor Bella, and I believe I smiled a little too contemptuously for her sister, to a sister. None of your saucy contempts, rising in her voice. None of your poor Bellas, with the air of superiority in a younger sister. Well then, rich Bella? Curtsying, that will please you better, and it is due likewise to the hordes you boast of. Look ye, Clary, holding up her hand, if you are not a little more abject in your meekness, a little more mean in your humility, and treat me with the respect due to an elder sister, you shall find. Not that you will treat me any worse than you have done, Bella. That cannot be, unless you were to let fall your uplifted hand upon me, and that would less become you to do than me to bear. Good meek creature, but you were upon your overtones just now. I shall surprise everybody by tarrying so long. They will think some good may be done with you, and supper will be ready. A tear would stray down my cheek. How happy have I been, said I, sighing in the supper-time conversations with all my dear friends, in my eye round their hospital board. I met only with insult, for this Bella has not a feeling heart. The highest joy in this life she is not capable of, but then she saves herself many griefs by her impenetrableness. Yet for ten times the pain that such a sensibility is attended with, would I not part with the pleasure it brings with it? She asked me upon turning from her, if she should not say anything below of my compliances. You may say that I will do everything they would have me do, if they will free me from Mr. Solmes' address. This is all you desire at present? Creeper on, insinuator, what words has she? But will not the other man flame out, and roar most horribly upon the snatching from his paws a prey he thought himself sure of? I must let you talk in your own way, or we shall never come to a point. It shall not matter in his roaring, as you call it. I will promise him that. If I ever marry any other man, it shall not be till he is married, and if he be not satisfied with such a condensation, I shall think he ought, and I will give any assurances that I will neither correspond with him nor see him. Surely this will do." But I suppose, then, that you have no objection to see and converse on a civil footing with Mr. Solmes as your father's friend, or so. No, I must be permitted to retire to my apartment whenever he comes. I would no more converse with this one than correspond with the other. And that would make Mr. Lovelace guilty of some rashness on the belief that I broke with him to have Mr. Solmes. And so that wicked wretch is to be allowed such a control over you, 
that you are not to be civil to your father's friends at his own house for fear of incensing him. When this comes to be represented, be so good as to tell me, what is it you expect from it? Everything, I said, or nothing. As she was pleased to represent it, be so good as to give it your interest, Bella, and say further that I will by any means I can, in the law or otherwise make over to my father, to my uncles, or even to my brother, all I am entitled to by my grandfather's will, as a security for the performance of my promises. And as I shall have no reason to expect any favor from my father, if I break them, I shall not be worth anybody's having. And further, still unkindly as my brother has used me, I will go down to Scotland privately as his housekeeper. I now see I may be spared here, if he will promise to treat me no worse than he would do a hired one. Or I will go to Florence, to my cousin Morden, if his stay in Italy will admit of it. In either case, it may be given out that I am gone to the other or to the world's end. I care not whither it is said I am gone or do go. Let me ask you, child, if you will give your pretty proposal in writing. Yes, with all my heart. And I stepped to my closet and wrote to my purpose I have mentioned, and moreover the following lines to my brother. My dear brother, I hope I have made such proposals to my sister as will be accepted. I am sure they will, if you please to give them your sanction. Let me beg of you, for God's sake, that you will. I think myself very unhappy in having encouraged your displeasure. No sister can love a brother better than I love you. Pray do not put the worst, but the best constructions upon my proposals when you have them reported to you. Indeed, I mean the best. I have no subterfuges, no arts, no intentions, but to keep to the letter of them. You shall yourself draw up everything into writing, as strong as you can, and I will sign it. And what the law will not do to enforce it, my resolution and my will shall, so that I shall be worth nobody's address, and that not my papa's consent, nor shall any person, nor any consideration, induce me to revoke it. You can do no more than anybody to reconcile my parents and uncles to me. Let me owe this desirable favor to your brotherly interposition, and you will forever oblige. Your afflicted sister, C.L. Harlow. And how do you think Bella employed herself while I was writing? Why, playing gently upon my harpsichord and humming to it, to show her unconcernedness. When I approached her with what I had written, she arose with an air of levity, "'Why, love, you have not written already? "'You have, I protest. "'Oh, what a ready pen-woman! "'May I read it?' "'If you please, and let me beseech you, my dear Bella, "'to back these proposals with your good offices.' "'And, folding my uplifted hands, tears, "'I believe, standing in my eyes, "'I will love you as never sister loved another.' "'Thou art a strange creature,' she said. "'There is no withstanding thee.' She took the proposals and letter, and, having read them, burst into affected laugh. How wise ones may be taken in! Then you did not know that I was jesting with you all this time, and so you would have me carry down this pretty piece of nonsense. Don't let me be so surprised at your seeming unsisterliness, Bella. I hope it is but seeming. There can be no wit in such jesting as this. 
the folly of the creature, how natural it is for people when they set their hearts upon anything to think everybody must see with their eyes. Pray, dear child, what becomes of your father's authority here? Who stoops here, the parent or the child? How does the square with engagements actually agreed upon between your father and Mr. Solmes? What sincerity that your rake will not follow you to the world's end? Nevertheless, that you may not think that I stand in the way of a reconciliation on such fine terms as these, I will be your messenger this once, and hear what my papa will say to it, although beforehand I can tell you these proposals will not answer the principal end. So down she went, but it seems my Aunt Hervey and my Uncle Harlow were not got away, and as they have all engaged to act in concert, messengers were dispatched to my uncle and aunt to desire them to be there at breakfast in the morning. Monday night, eleven o'clock. I am afraid I shall not be thought worthy. Just as I began to fear I should not be thought worthy of an answer, Betty rapped at my door and said, If I were not in bed, she had a letter for me. I had but just done writing the above dialogue, and stepped to the door with the pen in my hand. "'Always writing, miss,' said the bold wench. "'It is admirable how you can get away with what you write, but the fairies, they say, are always at hand, to help lovers.' She retired in so much haste that, had I been disposed, I could not take the notice of this insolence, which it deserved, and closed my brother's letter he was resolved to let me see, that I should have nothing to expect from his kindness. But surely he will not be permitted to carry every point. The assembling of my friends to-morrow is a good sign, and I will hope something from that, and from proposals to reasonable. And now I will try if any repose will fall to my lot for the remainder of this night. To Miss Clary Harlow enclosed in the proceeding. Your proposals will be considered by your father and mother and all your friends tomorrow morning. What trouble does your shameful forwardness give us all? I wonder you have the courage to write to me, upon whom you are so continually emptying your whole female quiver. I have no patience with you for reflecting upon me as the aggressor in a quarrel which owed its beginning to my consideration for you. You have made such confession in a villain's favor as ought to cause all your relations to renounce you forever. For my part, I will not believe any woman in the world who promises against her avowed inclination. To put it out of your power to ruin yourself is the only way left to prevent your ruin. I do not intend to write, but your too kind sister has prevailed upon me. As to your going to Scotland, that day of grace is over, nor would I advise you that you should go to grandfather, up your cousin Morden. Besides, that worthy gentleman might be involved in some fatal dispute upon your account, and then be called the aggressor. A fine situation you have brought yourself to, to propose to hide yourself from your rake, and to have falsehoods told, to conceal you, your confinement, at this rate is the happiest thing that could befall you. Your bravo's behavior at church, looking out for you, is a sufficient indication of his power over you. 
had you not so shamelessly acknowledged it. One word for all, your parents and uncles may do as they will, but if for the honour of the family I cannot carry this point, I will retire to Scotland and never see the face of any one of it more. James Harlow There's a brother, there's a flaming duty to a father and mother and uncles, but he sees himself valued and made of consequence, and he gives himself airs accordingly. Nevertheless, as I said before, I will hope better things from those who have not the interest my brother has to keep open these unhappy differences. End of letter 42 Read by Patty Brookman